In the following live session recording, Jacob Griffin, Associate Pastor, Carnes Creek Baptist Church in Toccoa, Georgia, leads a session entitled, We're All on the Same Team. If you were to take a poll on church preferences in the areas of worship styles, preaching, and ministry approaches, you'd be overwhelmed by the variety of opinions. Wouldn't it be nice if you could take polar opposites and guide them to meet in the middle for something bigger than their preferences? The listener will learn practical ways of combining different church models for a unified approach to reaching communities for Christ. Let's join Jacob now. Well, guys and ladies, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, just a real quick thing as well, just to give you a little bit, a little bit more of a background for me uh, to help you understand why they chose me to do this particular one. Um, part of it is because God's grace, because I'm not sure why they chose me to do it. Um, but there are some things I've done in the past that kind of relate to what we're talking about. So um, I spent about five years uh, right after Bible college. So I went to Tacoma Falls Bible College. Uh, where uh, Mr. Dew went, and then right now I'm at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary where he went as well. And the funny thing between me and him is I, he doesn't know me, I don't really know him, but people often ask if we know each other. I'm like, I, I have no idea, no idea who the guy is. So eventually, hopefully today I'll, get, I'll go meet him and we'll, we'll, we'll go joke around a little bit. But, um, but for five years after Bible college, I was a uh, teacher at a school called the Habersham Christian Learning Center. And what I did there was it was uh, connected to the public high school. And so I would teach Bible to public high school students. And they would come over on a bus. So I would teach uh, you know, Christian ethics, essentially, is what I would do. So on dating relationships and how do you deal with stress and all these different types of things. And a vast majority of my students were, were non-Christian. And so it was really cool. And so I would teach Buddhists. I would teach uh, Muslims. I would teach uh, atheist, I would teach, you know, and they would proclaim this. I'm not sure if they understood the full concept of what that meant, but that's that's who I would serve. Um, and one of the one of the biggest uh, compliments I ever got was from a, I'm not going to say her name, but as a young lady who um, was a self-proclaimed uh, lesbian, and who was in a, a lesbian relationship. Uh, and I knew this, and she came to my class. I had no idea why she came, but I was like, I'm glad she's here. And so I remember I taught her for two years, and she came up to me, and she said, Mr. Jake, that's what she called me, and she said, you know, um, I know that you don't approve of what I'm doing. I know that you have talked about that in class, but something else I also know is that you love me. And, and so that right there, again, and she's still struggling with that sin, but this is, that's a story I tell uh, when it comes to this idea of we're all on the same team with youth and adults and trying to mix those things together. A lot of it just takes time, and it's going to be a consistent example before them, not to say that we agree with what they're doing, not to say that we're even saying, hey, this is a good thing, but hey, I love you, and we're going to get through this together. Um, and it just takes a long, long time so for some of them to be able to see that. So, um, without further ado, um, our first thing that we're going to be looking at, um, and I'll put it up here in just a second, um, is this idea of do your uh, do your part. And actually, let's go back. We'll say that in just a minute. Uh, do your part for the team is my first point uh, when it comes to trying to connect with younger adults and for younger adults to connect to uh, older adults. Um, you know. Oftentimes we'll look at other people and say, well, if somebody else will do something, that'll be great. 
Okay, and that's probably something we say a lot. Other people will take care of that. Well, here's the reality. Other people are not taking care of it. Okay? And so the good thing is about it is that you guys are in a class where you guys are, this is being brought to your attention to where you can say, I'm going to be the one that God's going to use to, to make a difference in this area, and I'm going to be committed to it. So real quick, um, how many of you uh, love to watch football? Anybody like to watch football? Uh, I love it. Okay, I am, I am a junkie when it comes to that. Um, it's something that, something that I enjoy doing. Now, I will say my wife and I, really my wife, has come up with a rule. I can only watch one football game a weekend. This is part of that sanctification process. And so, literally, I'm just like, all right, got to pick which one. So, depending on whether the Falcons or the Bulldogs, depending on who's doing good that year, will depend on which game I'm watching. Okay? And every once in a while, I'll slip a, a slip two games in. I'll, I'll record it and watch it when she's asleep. But, but part of that is I'm trying to make sure that I'm devoting time to this person that's in my life that I really care about. Um, and so the reason why I bring that up is uh, I absolutely love watching football. I love during the off season looking at videos about football. And uh, this past year, uh, I wasn't even trying to prepare for this, but I was watching something that triggered a thought in my head. I was watching a coach by the name of Bruce Arians. I don't know if you guys know who Coach Bruce Arians is. Used to be the head coach at uh, the Arizona Cardinals, now he's at Tampa Bay, he's, a, he's this quarterback guru, he, he, he coached uh, Peyton Manning, if you know Peyton Manning. And so he's this awesome, awesome coach, and um, I'm a Falcons fan, by the way, and so I happened to you know, run, up, run upon this Tampa Bay stuff, I wanted to see what was going on. And uh, he was in this interview, and in this interview they were asking him, you know, hey, you, you have coached in all these different types of systems. You have done all of these great and amazing things with all these different types of players. And the interviewer asked Coach Arians, are you going to bring in your system with these players or are you going to have to switch players? So, so the, what he's asking is, which is more valuable, your system or the players? And, and, I, and I love what he responded with. He said two things. He says, I, I don't coach systems. I coach players. In other words, I shape my coaching approach based upon the players that I've been given. And I love that approach because there's so many individuals that probably do it the other way around. And so he says, look, I'm going to go into this new job opportunity and I'm going to evaluate what's already there. Okay, Instead of wishing I had something else, I'm going to evaluate what's there, and I'm going to do my best with what, what's been given to me. Another thing he said was this. He says, I always tell my assistant coaches, don't tell me what our players can't do. Tell me what they can do, and let's do that. I love that. Okay? So let's translate this into the ministry world. Okay? I literally, as I'm, as I'm watching Bruce Arians say this, I'm like, wait a minute. That sounds like something we could actually do in the church because it's something that we need to do more of. And so I wrote this. I says, I, I don't minister to systems. I minister to people. In other words, I shape my ministry approach based upon the people I've been given. Okay? Uh, so, for example, I've, I've ran into lots of, lots of guys and lots of gals who will say, you know, we could grow our ministry if we had this person or that person. We could do these amazing things if we had this type of situation. You know, there's nothing necessarily wrong about having those conversations, but ultimately, 
God's given you what you have. Those are the people you have. Those are the individuals that God has literally supernaturally, sovereignly put into your midst. And so as we start thinking about, you know, what's it going to take, especially for young pastors, and just young individuals who are like, you know, I want to do this system. I want to, I want to produce change in my church. Before we ever get to the change part, you got to learn to, and we'll say this in a minute, you got to learn to love your people where they're at. Meet them where they're at. And say, you know what? I, these are the people that God's giving me. These are the individuals that we're going to win Christ with. Okay? And what I love about, about how God works, one of my favorite passages is when uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, has just been told that she's going to have a virgin birth. You can imagine a 13, 14-year-old girl who has literally been told this astronomical idea. Like, this is out of, out of this world kind of idea. And her response is, I don't want to do it. Her response is, with God, all things are possible. And so as I start looking at our churches, I start looking at my ministry context, you begin to look at your ministry context, may we be like Mary and say, you know, with God, all things are possible. No matter how dismal maybe we may think it looks, and no matter how many obstacles that are in our way, we can look at that situation and say, but God can deal with this. God can do whatever He wants to to transform the situation. Okay? I wrote this. I said, don't complain about the church you have. Figure out what they do well or what they can do well and do that. And do that. Okay? Now, that means you're going to be simplifying. That means you're going to really hone in on some things. But that's not a bad thing. You know, sometimes churches, they want to say this, we want to do all these things. And when they do all these things, guess what they do? They do nothing. <laughs> we want to do all these different things. I was like, that's okay. But I let's focus on what we can do well and let's do that. And especially, I know some of you guys mentioned, like, we're at a smaller church and, and I've been there too. One of the best things you could do is hone in what you're good at and constantly make that the best that it can be. And it takes commitment. It takes intentionality. Um, the issue is this. We have too many, I think, young guys and young girls coming out of Bible college and coming out of seminary and coming into the ministry. And the issue is they're more committed to systems than they are people. Okay? And I confess, because I've done that before. Okay? Where I've come in, I'm like, hey, I've got this way of doing things. I've been taught. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with the system. But at the same time, we've got to adjust it. Like Bruce Arians, he comes into the situation. He's like, look, I've got systems. I've got some approaches, and they've been proven to work. But at the same time, I've got to adjust my system to the people that I've been given. Okay? You know, so for example, if you have a, a team that's really good at running the football and you like to throw, what are you going to do? I'm going to run the football. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to force something that's not there. If you come into a church that, say, you know, they're really, really good at um, evangelism, but your gift is, you know, helps ministry. Well, team those things up together, work on what they're good at, and go from there. Okay. Um, I mean, I've heard too many guys, I've worked with guys who have went to a church and literally all they've said is they point out the negative things that their church can't do. I'm like, well, what can they do? Well, they can do these two things. Well, let's focus on that. Let's do that. And let's go from there. And by doing that, what are you doing? You're affirming them. You're letting them know that, hey, you, you are worthy of this, that God's given you this gift. And let's go do something with it. 
And then from that place, guess what? Then you can start introducing new things. Because then, then, then you have them excited. Which is an awesome feeling. So, I want, want us to write this down. If you're taking notes. Do your part for the team. Learn your people. Love your people. And commit to your people. Learn your people. Love your people. And commit to your people. Um, as we begin to think through... Okay, how am I going to produce change in a church? Okay, and I'll just say this: Do, do we think our churches need to change to a, to a degree? They're always changing. Okay? We would say yes, they need to change. But the reality is, before we ever get to that place, we've got our trust. We've got to build a rapport with the people, and so that takes time and it takes commitment. And it takes us learning our people. And as we learn our people, we learn their gifts. We learn what they're good at. We learn their struggles. We learn their fears. And then we can approach them with this new idea, having known all that stuff, and then be able to approach them with something that actually is going to work. Okay? And it takes time. Again, learning to love them, learning to commit to them as well. So by doing this, again, you're earning the trust of your people, and you're creating a culture of unity among diversity. So that when you do produce that change, or when you introduce that change, okay, you've already you're introducing that change within the midst of a culture that actually trusts one another, okay. Instead of coming in and saying, "Look, I have all the answers," all right, see too many guys do that. <laughs> you don't want to be in that situation. So you're also getting close enough to your people to see what gifts of ministry God has given them, uh, each of them. And so that you can encourage them to participate in what, in what God has gifted them to do. Okay? Um, and that takes time. It takes relationships. And we'll go into a little bit of that later. So the big question I want you to ask yourself is this. Are you committed to systems or are you committed to people? Are you committed to systems or are you committed to people? And sometimes those people can be hateful. <laughs> Sometimes those people can be downright rude, okay? They're like, what? No, I mean, there's been s- plenty of situations where my wife and I have walked out, and I'm like, did they know what they just said? I'm like, what in the world? Like, who says that? But at the same time, uh, learning to love those people. I'll give, you, I'll give you a quick story. So the church I was at previous to where I am now, uh, we were only there for a short stint, and I, if you want to know why, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards about that. But um, but love the people there. But I remember when I first got there, uh, I'm, I love to be relational. I love to say I love you. I love to give you hugs. I love I love all that. Okay, I'm, I'm not bashful when it comes to that. This particular church, though, the culture was, don't say I love you, and you better not come hug my neck because that's uncomfortable. Okay, I was like, well, whew, we're gonna get over that real quick. <laughs> all right, so. I would just continue to say I love you. And I remember at first I would say it, and I would you know give people side hugs. I'm like, I want to go slowly with them. And uh, at first it was literally like I would say it, and they would give me this weird look. And I go, okay, all right, see ya. And they they'd leave, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. And I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept doing it, trying to love my people and try to commit to my people and try to learn my people. And literally, uh, toward the end of my time there, uh, there was one particular lady. Um, God bless her. 
but I remember at first, I mean, it was just like every time I'd see her, it was something negative. But toward, toward the end of my time there, she was saying, hey, Jacob, I love you. Well, I love you too. And there was a hug, and there was a, hey, I care about you. Um, and even when I left that place, I remember the emotions that I felt leaving the people that I grew to love, uh, leaving the people that I learned about, uh, leaving the people that I was committed to while I was there. Um, and all that takes time. And, but I even know, I really do feel this way, that if I were to bring about a change among those people, I think, it, again, depending on what it is, it would be a successful change. Why is that? Because they know that I actually love them. <laughs> that we, I, I care about you. You care about me. And so as a family, we're going to do this together. Okay? There's nothing that we can't overcome. So the big question, again, is are you committed to systems or are you committed to people? And again, the correct answer is, and it must be, we are committed to people. We are in a people business, lack of a better term. That's what it's all about. Okay? That's what we have to do. And so ministries aren't ministries without people. Okay? And I'll say it this way. You know, ministry, uh, the best thing about ministry is the people. The worst thing about ministry is the people. All right? It goes both ways. All right? But it's one of those things that, but again, you have to learn to embrace that and say, look, I'm going to love these people. And even when they're hateful to me, as ministers of the gospel, we're going to love them. We're going to be an example of Christ to them as much as we can. There will be times where we fall in that, but by golly, we're going to try our best to continue to be committed to that as much as we can. So uh, that commitment that we're talking about demonstrates itself with us having the patience to get to know people that God has put into our care. God's put them in our care. And then we are to lovingly engage them to join into the work of the ministry. So as we begin this discussion about how do you bring in change to an old system and bring new systems in, all that kind of stuff, where does it start? It starts here. It starts with, it starts with the relationships and, and being willing to even change our mind about what we, what we had or what we thought we needed to change. And then when we get to know the people, guess what happens? Well, actually, it doesn't need to change that way. It needs to change in another way now that I know who the people are. I've got to be willing to change my mind on stuff myself as well. So what I want you guys to do, you don't have to take a, a, a long time to do this, but on the back side of your sheet of paper, I want you guys to write down, just off the top of your head, who are some people in your church, in your church context, that, that serve, that are a part of things, maybe even someone you struggle with. Okay, And I want you to write down a gift that you think they have. What do you think they would be good at? Okay, So go ahead and think of who that person is. Write down their name. Write down, this is what I think they would be good at. And then this coming week, I want to encourage you, I, and I can't keep you accountable on this, I, would, I want to encourage you to call that person or see them face-to-face and tell them what they're good at. Affirm them in what they, in what they do well. And take the time to do it. And some of us are like, well, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> I promise you. Okay? If you make that connection, you begin to affirm them and say, you know, I've noticed you're really, really good at this. And I think that's really cool about you. That's awesome. And I praise God that he created you to be that way. And this may be someone that you look at and are like, man, I hate their guts. <laughs> okay? But you know what? God's blessed them in this way, and I'm going to encourage them. And what you'll find is this, is that eventually that person you hate their guts, you begin to like them. You begin to like them a whole lot. 
And then that person begins to engage with you and you guys can do ministry together, which is awesome. It's a good thing. It's a good place to be. All right. So hopefully you, you can think of that person. You write down their name. Write down what they're good at. Make a point to reach out to them. All right. So our, our next point is uh, expanding the team. Expanding the team. So but one, one of the reasons why... Um, sorry. Make sure I'm in the high spot here. One of the reasons why churches don't work well together as a team, okay, how about this real quick question. Have you guys been in a church context where they didn't work well together? That should be all of us, okay? So all of us have been in a situation where it's just like, man, nothing's working. Nobody's getting along. Nobody sees it the same way. Like, what are we doing? What are we going to do, okay? Because we can't agree on anything, okay? What are we going to do about this? But one of the reasons why we have struggle in churches is because one of the things we disagree on is how are we going to produce church growth? That's a real big point of contention. Okay, What's it going to take for us to get to a place where we're reaching more people for Christ? Okay, And some people say this and some people say another thing. So I'll give you an example. You have some who will say this. Well, I think our church needs to go more contemporary. Have you guys heard that before? Okay, that's, that's something that happens. We need to go more contemporary. And what they're saying is, is that we're, we're hoping to do this because we want to build bridges with our contemporary culture with the gospel in ways that the contemporary culture can actually connect to the gospel, if that makes sense. So we want to try to build as many bridges as possible. And there's some truth to that. I think we can say that there is some truth to that. There's some dangers, but there's some truth to that. And then you have the other side that says this. Others say, well, if we go contemporary, uh, that the church will become so much like the culture that the church will cease to be the what? The church. And so you have that argument. And there's some truth to that. Okay, there, If you go too far in that direction, that can happen. Okay, And so usually what you find is you have two camps that are completely committed this way and completely committed the other way. And neither one is willing to do what? <laughs> neither one's willing to give. Okay, I want it this way. Okay, well, you done messed up right there because it's not about you. Okay, I want it this way. I want it that way. So we have this contention. And what happens is, is you have disunity. You have arguments. You even have fights even based upon the fact of how are we going to produce growth in the kingdom in our particular local context of the church. How are we going to do that? Okay, and that's where fights begin. Well, let's let's... Do, let's do a quick exercise. Okay, so we're going to see what does the Bible, because that's a good starting spot, okay? What does the Bible have to say about this particular argument or this particular issue of what's it going to take for the church to grow? Our particular church, what's it going to take for it to grow? So if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Um, if you do have one, go ahead and pull it out if you have a cell phone. I would love for you guys to look up Acts chapter 2. Verses 36 through 47. If you don't have one, you can maybe look on with someone else that does have one. And what I would love for you guys to do is read Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 47. And I want you just to think through what are some things that are present in that passage that the first church was doing? What are some uh, attributes of the first church that we see in Acts chapter 2? And it's okay if you don't get them all, but I just want you to read that passage. I'll read it here in just a minute. I'm going to give you some time to think about it.
All right, so I'll give you about about four about four minutes or so. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So I went ahead and drew one thing on here, and I'm going to try to use some word pictures to help us to understand what's going on in this passage. And remember, as we read this, as we're looking at this, we're looking for what are some things that were essential for this church to be a church and what was making them grow, okay, before we get into a discussion about what we want to see happen. So first off, uh, obviously what we see is these lines right here represent individual people, okay? These are individual people within a community that are not connected to a church, okay? They're just part, part of what's going on. So the first thing we could do is this. A solid line would represent now that these individual people have, have accepted the gospel and have come into the kingdom of God, now they are a, a connected group called the church. And so this would be, this connected line represents these individual people are now brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's just see what you guys came up with. What are some uh, things that you see in this passage in Acts chapter 2? What are some, some commonalities? Teaching. There's teaching. Okay, so there's there's a teaching of the word. Okay, so we could say uh, the apostles were teaching. So there's a, that's excuse my, man, right, but there's a Bible. Okay, we'll put a little, there you go. All right, so there's a Bible. There's teaching going on. The apostles are doing that. What else? They're exhorting. They're exhorting it. And so another, I think another word for, um, another way of saying exhorting is, you had individuals that were leaders. So you have leaders there, so you could you know, have a guy, he's got his you know, shepherd staff, so he's leading people. So there's leaders in the first church. So people are stepping up to the plate and saying, this is where we're going. Okay, People are being gifted with that. What else? Steadfast. What's that? Steadfast. They're steadfast. So this is idea of going forward and they were persistent and they're going to go continue to be you know, a witness in their community. What else? Fellowship. There's fellowship. Yes, definitely there's fellowship. And so, uh, so we see, you know, relationship and uh, them being connected, and, and which is a really important thing. So we see relationships. How about this? Part of relationships is they were making disciples. Okay, so, so to ask yourself, you know, is, is our church... Are we making disciples? Do we have leaders? Are we teaching the word? Are we making disciples? Here's one that is it's a prerequisite to all of this. What about the idea of repentance? There's repentance that's taking place. Mm-hmm. You have individuals who've repented of their sins, who've said, it's not about me, it's about Christ. And I'm here to join this thing called the church, and we're going to spread the name of Christ all over the place. <coughs> what are some other things? What's that? They were fearful. They were fearful. Okay, so there's this there's this reverence for who God is, and it's like this is what we're here for. Amen. Amen. And we just we need more of that. Generosity. There's, so there's giving. Okay. Oh boy. Hey, do work. Let's see if this one will work. There was giving. Okay, which is important. So is, is your church a giving church? How about um, something that we all, you know, if we're going to become a believer, what what do we do after we repent? We 
get baptized. There's baptism going on. There's this public profession of, hey, this is who I belong to now. So we see that happening. Um, what's something that you know we should be doing every day to show our dependence on God? Prayer. Prayer. Okay, so you know we've got I can draw this right. You know we've got someone who's you know, praying to God. Um, someone mentioned the idea of commitment and relationships. Let's just love. Love is there. It's definitely there. Okay. Um, something we did this morning before before we uh, listened to Mr. Dew, we did something. Sing, worship, and worship. We worshiped. I have a long neck. But anyway, so yeah, so we worshiped. Okay, that's something that's present there. Um, what's something that your church does? Uh, and it depends on which church you're a part of. Some, some of us do it quarterly. Some of us. Communion. communion, okay. So we got communion. Okay. Anything else? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience is definitely, definitely there. Definitely a part of what's going on there. I think we may have covered it. So we've got, we've got a connected group. We've got repentance. We've got baptism. We've got disciples. We've got love. We've got worship. We've got the Lord's Supper or communion. We've got giving. We've got teaching of the Word. We've got leaders right here. This, this is what's going on in the first century church and is that a passage that says they had all things common yes yeah that all, all things, things common, common so Which, they, you could say ahead. they were communists well yeah they were communists <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you better be careful <laughs> we're at the southern baptist church uh, <laughs> so yeah they were, they were communists yeah we can do, do a little play on words there but yeah so i mean and i would think that would connect there they they actually loved one another you know, and, and, and how, how often do we look at our churches that we're in right now and we'll say, do we love each other? I mean, I don't know. I mean, in some instances I've seen that. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But I've seen a lot of instances where that, I mean, I'll be honest, but I don't see it happening. And so it's, uh, we're, you know, we're at a church, but we're not really connected. We're not having church. We're not having church. Having yeah, we're having a meeting. We're becoming meeting places. Yeah. And it's just, we're here, I'm, I'm I've done my I've done my good deed for the week, and so that happens a lot. And we wonder why we're not growing. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to go to your old party. I want to go to something God's doing. And so that's that's awesome. So as we, the reason why I brought this up, and excuse my awful pictures, but hopefully you can can read them and see them, is that this right here is in essence what you need to grow a church. That's it. And so before we ever start having a discussion about being contemporary or about needing uh, this kind of worship style or about, you know, we need this kind of person or that kind of person, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, is that happening at our church context? And if, some, if one of those things are missing, then we need to have a discussion about that. That's where it starts. And again, now that's not saying that we don't need to have a discussion about Music, and I'm not saying we can't do that, but that's not the main priority. Okay, that's not the main priority. And, and I've, I've had too many guys who come up to me, and I'm, I'm a young guy myself, but I've had too many guys come up to me and say, Well, the only way my church is going to grow is if we have contemporary worship. Hogwash. Hogwash. Again, 
I, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I love contemporary worship. I love it. absolutely love it. And I love to be a part of it. But I know that that's not the essence of what it means to be a growing church. I know that because I've been a part of churches that don't do that and they're bursting out the seams. But it's because they're doing this. And they're doing it very, very well. Okay? And people get along. And so some of my best friends are people over their 80s. Love them to death. Okay? And they love me. And it's this great relationship that we have together. Okay? And when I bring up contemporary worship, they're open to it. Because why? Because we have a relationship. Because we love each other. And they're like, you know what? And then they'll say, whatever it takes to lead someone to Jesus, we'll do it. And I say the same thing to them. Whatever it takes. If I have to go... (laughs) to the old folks home and hang out with them and play dominoes, I'll go do it, okay? Because I want them to know who Jesus is. And I want their families to know who Jesus is, okay? Because it's worth it. So it's totally worth it. So I'll give you an example. A church that I was a a part of, it's called Mount Carmel Baptist Church. It was in Demers, Georgia, uh, just right up the road. And uh, this church uh, had traditional worship. Uh, This church was predominantly elderly. And what happened was they started connecting these dots and we began to burst out the seams when it came to growth. Okay? It was all because we were committed to this right here. Okay? What, what time are we done, by the way? When you're finished. When I've finished? <laughs> okay. All right, because I was trying try to look it out. I don't want to take up your time. So uh, an example is, again, and I don't think that, again, this discussion doesn't mean that we don't need to, what's the word, contextualize. We do need contextualization. We do need to look at our communities and say, what's it going to take for us to connect? We see Paul. Paul does this. Paul goes to Jerusalem. What does he do? He talks from the Old Testament. He begins to connect who they are to the gospel. When he goes to Athens, what does he do? He doesn't bring up the Old Testament. He says, what about this unknown God that you have over here? Let's talk about that. And he begins to connect them through a philosophical and a knowledge base. Again, that matters in our approach, but ultimately, this is where it starts. It starts here. So uh, what I'm trying to do is this. If you had okay, a misunderstanding of we've got to have contemporary, we've got to do this, hopefully you can go ahead and debunk that. Okay? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to have that to be able to be a growing church. Here's what you need right here. Okay? So before you ever have a discussion about what are the changes we need to make, let's first off make sure we're actually a biblical church, that we're doing it the right way, and then go from there. Okay? And that's a hard place to go to, but that's, that's ultimately where it starts. So, never allow, I'm going to say this again, never allow peripheral issues to define your church's growth or non-growth. Okay? Call it for what it is. It's a peripheral issue. Okay? And we'll deal with it. But it's not a main issue. Okay? Um, and so that's, that's why it should be an easy discussion about th- those types of things. All right, last thing is this, uh, producing a united team. And, and sorry, you guys can, I totally messed up on that. Here's a list of those things that we were just talking about. So if you want to write that in, you can. But it's separated group, connected group called the church, repentance, uh, baptism. Uh, I said Baptist, sorry. Baptism, prayer, disciples, love, worship, Lord's Supper or communion, giving, teaching of the word, and leaders. We're, those all those lines. So let's talk about producing a united team. So here's our last time together, our last little segment together, and then we'll we'll call it a quits. So um, how do we connect two different generations? Okay, like our current age of the church. How do we connect 
say, millennials or Generation Z uh, with the generations that were just before them? How do we connect those two groups? Okay. That's hard. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to try to do is, and I'm not going to define these groups because you can't, but what I'm going to do is show you general themes of each group. Okay, that's not always true of everybody in that group, but it's a general theme. Okay, so the older generation, those beyond millennials and those beyond gener Generation Z, tend to be concerned mostly about uh, cultural control. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, what I mean by that is it's really bent on if we're going to win this nation for Christ, it's going to be through the election booths. It, we're going to have to be able to do it that way. Okay, so for years and years, that's what it was about. Now, that's not, again, that's a generalization. Not every single person in that generation is like that, but what you'll find is we've got to have the right guy at the White House. Okay, we've got to have the right guy in whatever house. Okay. The younger generation is mostly concerned with cultural credibility. It's not so much of who's in the White House, but it's can people look at me and know that what I'm saying is true in my life? Okay? I'm, I'm more than just this, but it's, it's real. Okay, it's real in what I'm doing. So in other words, um, are believers called to halt sin, to stop it, control it, hey, this can't happen, or are we called to help sinners? It's both. We're called to do both of those things. And so what we're going to do in just a minute is I'm going to again, define the differences, and what we'll find out at the end is actually we're pursuing the same thing. Okay, it's just in different ways. So real quick, let's look at this. Some of the issues that the church is facing today is this. We're, we're facing a loss of truth. In our world today, as you begin to watch the news, most people are like, I don't know what's true. And people are claiming their own truth. Okay, and we'll just go ahead and claim it. And we'll, uh, we'll look at you know, sexuality. That's rampant with, I'm going to define what I am. Okay, no one else can tell me what that is. Okay, so we see that happening. We see a loss of youth. We see a loss of, of mature individuals that are leaving the church. I mean, they're leaving in swarms. Okay, that's happening. It just is. Okay, so we're going to try to figure out what, why that is the case. So depending on which generation you are in, you're going to have different answers to how we're going to fix the cultural issues that we have. Okay? So, for example, like right now, 30%, roughly 30% of the United States population are biblical evangelicals. 30%. The other 60% are uh, not biblical. They're not evangelicals. We call them the nuns, okay? You might have read the nuns for the youth ministry. So, they're, they're called the nuns, and they're literally the 60% of people who have, I'm just, I have no religious affiliation at all. And that 60% is beginning to impact, guess what? The 30%. Okay, they're, they're beginning to create a whole new culture. So if you're beyond Generation Z or beyond Millennials, your generation grew up with, man, everybody goes to church. Everybody does this. You were the majority. Which is, there's some good things to that and there's some bad things to that. Okay? Now, guess, guess where we are as a church culture? We're the minority. It's a totally different outlook. And so for us to go in and say, we're going to control this, it ain't going to happen. And it's not going to happen in the same way it did at one time. And so everyone now is concerned more about how can I get an audience to show my faith. I'm not going to try to control it, but I'm going to try to impact people through relationships. So as we start looking at this again, the 6% nuns 
again, are counter against the 30% Bible-believing evangelicals, which is producing a change in the whole culture in terms of morals, marriage, gender, and voting. Those things are being extremely impacted by the, by the 60% nuns. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond to this? Okay. So, again, depending on your age group will depend on how you think you should respond to it. So here's, here's what you can write down. Evangelicals 50 and older have a theology of halt. Okay. Stop it! <laughs> right. like we can't do this anymore, okay? Let's, let's go to the voting booth and let's stop it, okay? And at one time, guess what? That worked. It really did. Like you, you could. I mean, if, if someone said, okay, 50 to 100 years ago, like for example, when um, homosexuals were given the right to get married, right after that, a group came in right after that, and it was the uh, uh, pedophilia, I think. I can't remember the name of it. But men that like boys. Okay, whatever the, whatever that is. There's so many different terms I can't keep up with. But they came in right after that and said, we want our rights to be able to have relationships with these kids. 50 years ago, what would have happened? Get get out of here. And by the way, we're going to probably pop you in the back of the head as we're doing it. Now, guess what happens? We'll listen. We'll tolerate it. I'm like, it's a bad place to be in. And so that's what's happening right here. So I understand as the older generation is saying, we've got to just stop this. But the hard thing about it is this, is that right now we're the minority. And when we say stop, guess what happens? Nobody listens. Sad, but nobody listens. And so when when they're being, again, this group is being raised, they're going to church, um, everyone's staying married. Uh, again, it's an obligation to be in church in the old culture. And so, again, everyone goes to church in that particular generation. And the majority of the people are going to agree with, hey, we should have Christian values, okay, in the old generation, okay? And so, as, as a matter of fact, during that generation, there was complete political movements based upon winning the Christian vote. And we hear about that even today, but that's becoming not an issue anymore. But literally, that's what the, uh, literally campaigns were built around. We need to get the Christian vote. Not anymore. Sad, but not anymore. They still do. They still, they tried to, yeah. They still are. They still are, yeah. They just try to do it the opposite way. The opposite way. It's just literally switched around. It's t- totally different now which is evidence of what's going on here. So what was the mission? The mission was for the older generation to control the, the moral majority, and the way that you would take control would be to win elections, okay? To, to form, okay, a society that says this is what's right, this is what's wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. that actually, it's not a bad thing to have a moral society. It's a good thing, okay? Let's move on to the next one now. Evangelicals 40 and under have a theology of help. So halt and help. So this generation, again, if you're looking at millennials and Generation Z, this generation literally grew up, um, literally, uh, with the majority culture being non-Christian. They grew up in that. That's all, that's all they know. That's all I know. Since I grew up with, I've never been in a culture where we were predominantly Christian. And I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what that looks like. Okay. And so, in the past, where people would openly share the gospel and say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And they would come. Now, you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? That's stupid. I'm not going to church with you. 
And oftentimes what you see is people don't share as often. Okay, Now that's not a good thing because we should be sharing. And hopefully we'll talk a little more about that, about how do you engage a culture that's, that's against you. But from the time they were in the first grade, they always viewed themselves as not having power, not having influence, being pushed out of the way by a minority culture. Being a minority culture against greater forces that were taking over the culture and in fact already had control. Okay, which is something you just said. Already have control in a lot of sense. So this group is not so much concerning, concerned about winning elections, but they are concerned about... Uh, they, because they know that they're a minority when it, when it concerns morality. So their goal is not to take control. Their goal is to make their faith credible in an oppositional culture. So how can I make sure that people can at least hear what I have to say? Okay? Which is difficult. Alright? So last thing is this. How do we... This is the hard part. How do... Bridging generational divides. How do we get people in your church? Okay? You've got the over 50 and you've got the below 40 and they've got two different answers. You've got the theology of halt and the theology of health. How do you team those things up together to ultimately uh, produce gospel change in people's lives? Okay. Well, so what this ultimately means is that those 50 and above um, are, are a group seeking control and those 40 and under are the church seeking credibility. And so when they don't understand each other generationally, what happens is this. You see divides. You see you don't understand me. You see fights. You see quarrels. You see accusations being thrown at one another. You've got the younger generation saying, you're legalistic. You've got the older one saying, you're liberal. Okay, And it's going back and forth. Okay, And everybody's like, we don't understand each other. Okay, Well, how do we get on the same page? Because we've got to get on the same page. We have to. Because there's people dying and going to hell. We have to get on the same page. So one of the things that, and again, this is not the full answer, but one of the things that we can begin to do is begin to look at those two groups and say, what do they have in common? What do they have in common? And the one thing they do have in common is this, is that they both believe the Bible. They both believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, rose from the grave to save sinners like you and me. We both believe that. And we want to see that being played out in our cultures and in our world. So this is something you guys can write down. Go to the Bible together to see how we can, as God's agents of truth and grace, and that's that, that truth of here's what is true and here's the help part, the grace, to impact a culture and a world that needs Jesus. So we come together and we say, look, here's the truth. You can't get away from that. Here it is. Let's proclaim it for what it is. Okay? You can't ever get away from that. But it's also teamed up with, but I want to get in relationships with those that don't know Jesus. Okay? I want to also do that. So I'll give you an example, and I will close with this. What's, actually, what is the official time that we have to leave? Also, we got we got time. I keep going. All right, we're good. I'm not worried now. Um, so I was rushing through that. So, uh, and for example, I've got one of my neighbors just moved in about six months ago. Uh, Katie and Lacey. Katie and Lacey are and a lesbian couple. Uh, you would think that I'm a part of that movement because I literally still hang out with them all the time. But but they live right by me. 
And I remember they moved in, and I remember my first thought was, oh, how, how am I supposed to, how am I going to relate to them? How, when they find out I'm a pastor, they're probably going to hate my guts. Like, how's this going to go down? So I told my wife, we prayed about it, and I said, look, we're going to invite them over for dinner. Just invite them over for dinner, let them come over. Again, I don't agree with it, but let's invite them over. And I'm not going to mention anything about me being a pastor. Just go try to live at that. And as always, they ask you what you do, and you have to say it. But so they, they come over, and we have dinner, and I'm like, hey, you guys, if I pray over our meal. Like, yeah, we don't, we don't mind if you do that. So we pray over the meal and talk to them about their jobs. And they ask me about mine. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor and all these, other t- all these types of things. And that, that relationship, I'll be honest with you, it's an awkward relationship. Okay, They know me. I know them. We see each other in the yard. We talk. They've kind of distanced themselves a little bit because I think they think I'm trying to win them. And I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Okay, I'm not going to lie about that. You don't know that, but I am trying to do that. But again, that right there is, truth-wise, guess what? That's wrong. It's dead wrong. It's against what God has created, humanity, what marriage looks like. It is sinful. It is damnable. It is literally like, you cannot do that. But also, I know this. For me to connect with them, that I've got to be willing to, you know what? I've got to share the gospel. I've got to be the, the actual hands and feet of Jesus to that, those two individuals, Katie and Lacey, and to reach out to them. The, the best way I can. Okay, so that's a that's a physical illustration of how do you connect truth and grace. It's, like, it's dead wrong. Okay, I not do not agree with it at all. But also, I love you. I'm going to reach out to you. Okay, so I'm going to uh, open it up. Does anybody have any questions? Anybody want to or any comments they want to bring into the discussion of how do you? take an older generation, a newer generation, put them together, how do you get everybody on the same team? Are there things you're doing that's working that you want to add to the group? I think one of the things when you're talking about the, the gay and lesbian and, you know, as it comes in even to our youth group, you know, and identity and, you know, um, is the first thing, is, you know, we, I think we're afraid that if we, as we love on them, we're condoning it. Yeah. You know, I mean, in our own minds that we're so, sure. you know, trying to Make sure we're not doing that, you know. Yeah. But it's a it's a tough thing to love on them, but yet tell them the truth, you know. Yeah. And, uh, in time too. Yeah. The right time. Yeah, that's that's a struggle I think we all have. You know, what where's the line? You know, where's the line you draw of of communicating that? You know, you may not even be saying it, but just for our actions may communicate that we are condoning it. How, how do you how do you do that well? You know, that's. That's a tough thing to do. It's a very tough thing to do. And I've had to go back. I mean, in my own, my own relationships, I've leaned toward the grace part a little bit too much. Where it almost came across as a student, they said, Oh, yeah, but Mr. Jack agrees with that. I'm like, oh, No, I don't. That's what I, mean. <laughs> I, don't I, like, I love you. Don't get me wrong. And I will, I will treat you like uh, my brother and sister. I, I will love you to death. But I do not agree with that. Um, and there's been times where I've lost relationships because I've had to have discussions. And, I, and they'll say, well, you don't love me? I'm like, no, I love you. No, you don't. Because you don't. I'm like, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that because I really do. Um, but at least, they, at least I would say in that situation, they got a gospel proclamation. They were given a chance. And that's where you just pray, God, just move in their hearts. Open, open up their eyes. Don't you think many times they do know that you love them? They just want you to um, oh, condone what they're doing. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. 
I think yeah. so. Yeah. And there's a difference in uh, young people have a different definition of what love is. Generation. Yes. They hear love is, is you gotta accept me as I am, and that's love. Whereas an older generation might say, say, I'm gonna tell you the truth. Yeah. That's what love is. So it's yeah. different. You gotta get to define those terms. Yeah, you gotta define it. And it's just it comes across differently. Yeah. So yeah, well, that's definitely that in the older generation, I gotta tell you the truth, and also I'm gonna straighten you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. This is yeah. the part that goes. Yeah. I love you. Yeah, we're, going, we're going to have a serious talk. Yeah, and, and I think in, even in this generation, that's there's a place that that's appropriate. Like you, you can have those really hard conversations, and I think you know if you do develop relationships, at least I've learned or seen when I've really developed good relationships, especially with guys, you know, teenage guys, girls, I kind of stay away from because I, I don't know what's going on. But um, but with teenage guys, I'll, I'll I'll really just engage them, and what I found is like man, I could get on their case. And they respond to it. And it's just like, brother, what are you doing? And, um, but because we've developed that relationship, it's like, I can get on their case and I'm like, yeah, I, I need to change that. And, you know, there's a, maybe it's just me. No, go ahead. I'm in that older crowd. Sure, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, you know, as a child growing up, a young person in church, I think there, there was a lot of, the, there was a lot of arguments in church then, yeah. back then. There was, yeah. They were just, they catered to that particular time. Yeah. Um, one thing I struggle with is I still feel like there's an accountability factor that we leave off the table a lot of times. Sure. Now, I, I retired from the Army uh, after 20 years, and I retired from civil service. There was always accountability, and scripturally, there is still accountability. Yeah, there is. And so my concern is that sometimes in our effort to bring truth mm -hmm. and grace together, we lose that, that definition of accountability. Yeah. Which does more harm than good in the long run. Yeah. yeah. And I, so it's. I think personally, churches uh, as a whole, I think we've done a very bad job <coughs> in how we handle the, the gay and lesbian movements and the different things. But we've let it become a political issue in our church yeah. as opposed to a biblical issue in the church. Yes, you're definitely right about that. And so, if y'all got some better answers, I'd love to hear them because I mean, that, I think that's a problem facing the church. Yeah. Uh, that and I, I think. The, the lack of accountability of men in the church. Oh yeah. I think that's you know, God's covenant is with man. Yeah. And we have just we kicked that out the window. Yeah. yeah. So maybe you know Apathy. some of the seniors that are here that like forty two years in one church, that's unheard of now. Yeah, it is. Of a man having that kind of stick to itness with God's relationship in the church. Yeah. So those are the kind of those are the kind of legacies I think that may bridge those gaps. Yeah. If we would listen to him, but oftentimes we don't want to hear what he's got to say. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it, it, it may it may offend me. Yeah. We're dealing with that in our church. Yeah. You know, uh, we can't have a conversation without offending somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, all I'm going to do is call a black pencil a black pencil. Yeah. You know, or red, red, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But but a lot of times in our churches, we're not we're not having church. We're having meetings. And maybe it's just my church. I don't know. I've, I've just struggled and struggled with that for years now. No, I, I, so, I don't think it's just your church. I, there I, seems and, to be a lot of experience and verse and you know diversity here. Yeah. Please enlighten. Enlighten all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it? Was it, is it did I have a response? We've got to look at people. I, I've tried to do this in my ministry. Mm -hmm. Is to 
to look at older people now I forget that I'm old now. <laughs> you know, but I, I've tried over my ministry years to look at older people. Yeah. As how I would treat my mother and daddy. Yes, definitely. And the younger people, now that I am older, I, I try to look and say, now what would I do if that were my son? Yeah, yeah and uh, treat them as best I can like yeah. like that. I, I just, I think that's, in, you know, very important to do so. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. And sometimes, you know, my sons, my youngest son, especially, I have three boys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he gets mad at me right now, you know, when I tell him certain things. Yeah. Uh, but I tell him the truth. Yeah, I'm going to tell him the truth, yeah. But he also probably knows through, through y'all's relationship, my dad loves me. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the key. I mean, it's yeah. just like a coach and a player. You yeah. know, a player, a coach can get all over a player. If that player knows that coach cares about, has their best interest at heart, mm -hmm. they're going to keep, they're going to give you all they've got. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just like, that's life. Yeah. You know, well, I know even, even from a practical standpoint, I know it's something that uh, I do at our church now. So when I, whenever I was a youth pastor and associate pastor, uh, I had no official role with our senior adults. If I didn't, if I did not want to do anything with them, I didn't have to. But you better bet I did. Yeah. And so whenever we would do hangouts, I wasn't even invited. I would invite myself. I would just show up and hang out with our older people, and just be like, "Hey, like I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. Hey, would you come and help out with our youth program?" I wouldn't ask parents. I would ask older adults. And the, I mean the. The bridge or the divide was bridged just by doing little small things like that and letting them know that, hey, we, we, uh, we don't want to ignore you. Because I've seen too many guys, and I've worked in churches like this, where the senior adults will come to the senior pastor and say, hey, can we have a senior adult ministry? And the guy responds, well, I don't have time for that. Well, well you better make some time for that. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to uh, if you want to bridge those, uh, those divides. And so little practical things like that. Well, make all the difference. When you think about your, your older population and your younger population, that, irregardless of what you call them, that is your church. It is. And your church will not survive without either one of them. No. And, and, and a right. lot of churches are dying because the younger population, the, the ones that, that are the help. Yeah. Your servers. The serv they're leaving the church. Yeah. And, you know, we're not finding that common ground. Yeah between the two, regardless of what we call it. We can put a name on it and call it whatever we want to, but we, we're doing a poor job yeah. of uniting those two groups. Yeah. See, I, one of our churches we went to, they felt like their contemporary service actually caused the biggest divide because the contemporary service catered to the younger group mm -hmm. and the traditional services, they called it, to the older group. So you had two churches in one yeah. that failed to come together. Yeah. You know, just... Yeah. And, and hopefully I don't offend anybody by saying this. If your church does have the contemporary and the and the traditional, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. I personally don't like it because I, I, that's precisely what it does. I, at least I think it's going to produce two different churches. You don't want that. Like you need to have, again, look at this right here. You have people that have fellowship. They were completely different. Everybody was different, but yet they were common in the fact that they were saved by Christ. And I love this, my brother and sister in Christ. We're completely different, but I love this person. Which is important, and there's there's not enough of that, yeah. definitely not enough of that. And I think it goes back to one of our first points when we got started was, you know, are you are you learning your people? Are you loving your people? Are you are you committed to your people? 
are you doing those things? If you're doing that, then from that point on, you should be able to have conversations. I think it all starts with we, we really don't love our people. We're not committed to our people. We're not learning our people. So, to respond, I'm, I'm an old guy too. So, I've been working with kids for 30 some odd years. I've been through X, millennials, whatever. Whatever it's called. <laughs> and I can tell you, I don't, and I know there's valid research for all this, and they're doing things, and that's true. But kids still, regardless of, of what, what you might think, they still want to know right and wrong. Yeah. And I mean, I had a kid not long ago, a young lady, and you know, she comes and tells me she's in a faking yeah. situation. I said, well, you know, I'm sorry you're doing that. That's just wrong. Yeah. I'm not mad at you. I still love you. Like I love you and I care about you, but that's wrong. And she, yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. She's still hanging on yeah. in youth group, and I'm still but they they do want to know and we have done a bad job of oh well that's okay that lifestyle you know don't hurt you don't hurt. Yeah. we've made a mistake by doing that yeah and i just feel they still need to to hear it and they still want to know it yeah um, well i think of all the scriptures i think of all the things that's recorded in the new testament of jesus's time while he walked on the earth he was adamant that the greatest of anything at all that you read in the New Testament is love. Yeah. The great without it, everything else is useless and meaningless. Yeah. And so, you know, I think when we're talking about bridging gaps, I think love bridges that gap. It does. Make that make a good song. I need to call the judge. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I just think that's where we lose ground. Is we yeah. look for all these all we we call it something else. Yeah. Jesus said, "Love is the greatest." That, that's the healer. Yeah, yeah, it is. That will do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we we like to focus on our on our differences instead of focusing on what we have the same. So, which well, is very important. Those, what are those practical things in a church? I mean, like in our church, you know, we have youth Sunday school here, adult Sunday school. You know, everything's divided by age group already. You know, what I mean, and we do come together for a morning worship, and everybody sits in there. Sometimes with their parents, or the youth sit where the youth do. You know, and yeah. um, church is over. Boom, you know, so what are those practical things that churches, that some of you guys do that actually connect them? Really? You know, in the old days, we used to have a work meeting. You know what I mean? Yep. We actually built the church. Nobody builds their own buildings anymore. No. We hire it all done. Yeah. That was some of the greatest, though, when the teens were working with the men yeah. and constructing something. But That's awesome. I don't know. Today, it's, um, you know. There is that separate, Sunday schools, is time of separation. Yeah. We don't have those Bible studies together. Yeah, we don't have those specific. prayer meetings together. We yeah. don't, you know, and that's what I've been wrestling with this whole last year is what are those, you know, things that they do together yeah. to bring them together. Well, even, I'll be honest with you guys, even look at, so I'm a children's pastor now, and, uh, you know, we have children's church, and I'm not even a real big supporter of that, even though we have it. And I'm trying to get away from it, but it's going to take some time. But literally, it's the idea of, like, I, I want kids with their parents. I get it if you're a toddler and you can't, like, we'll, we'll watch your kid. But I want you with your parents. Um, or, you know, in the sense of trying to engage families to be the primary disciple makers of their children. Like, I want, I want you to do that, um, which is very difficult. 
Uh, and I've also ran into pastors who, youth pastors, who say, I want to be the primary one. I'm like, well, brother, that's not, that's not your spot. It's not. Um, and so be willing to, 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 to not be their hero. It's like, I'm here to help you. Um, you know, and that's literally, I've, I've had to tell a young guy, a part of our group, he was just constantly coming to me and he was ignoring his dad. And I looked at him and said, look, I'm your friend, but I'm not your daddy. <laughs> and I don't want to be your daddy. And I said, and I, look, I'll hold you accountable. I said, but your dad's over there. Go talk to him. Um, and we saw a great revival in that. I and mean, it was just really cool to see that. But, but yeah, I think, you know, even something as intentional as doing um, adoptions in your church, like asking older people, hey, will you adopt so-and-so? I mean, something as practical as that. We do a lot of fundraising like that with our kids and our seniors. Yeah. Uh, they kind of, kind of ran them to do yard work, paint yeah. fence, clean a room, clean garage. Simple whatever. things. Spend time together. Really yeah. Holidays. And we do all of our own painting. Well, I, I, uh, I get all our kids to come in and do all of our painting in our church. Yeah. Anytime we have to paint something, youth, kids, any seniors that want to come, any kind of the work, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm gonna be like, hey, you guys, let's get it done. let's do it, let's make it happen, yeah. And that, and that would take also some grace on the older generation because they're like, Lord, they go, that wall's gonna look awful, you know. <laughs> but, but at the same, time, but, but, but it's but, it's a teaching opportunity. But I love it because they love each other; they're willing to do it, and, 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 so. and it teaches them to, to serve. It teaches them to serve. Even if it ain't Times like that are golden opportunities. They are. People. They are. And that's yeah. something else the church is. We've got to start discipling people yeah. because that, that's why they come in the front door and get saved and you never see them again. Yeah. Satan jumps on them and beats the snot out of them yeah. and they're out there to fend for themselves. Yeah, I agree. Well, also these teens see the deacons or the men of the oh. church only in the role normally of up front and they used to do a rookie or a sporting event together and Absolutely. they see them, you know, you know, oh my word, they're more than just a suit and tie. Yeah. Well, tell you what, guys. Talking about serving, painting in the church. Uh, I think another way of bridging that gap is uh, a small to a large mission tree. Yeah, absolutely. You know, work together. Take some years, yeah. You learn each other. Oh, you do. And uh, uh, I think mission trips, or and I'm not talking about going to New Mexico or Alaska. Necessarily, no, it doesn't have to be. Uh, but uh, you know, going to uh, your county, yeah, yeah, and uh, helping each other, and, yeah. And, uh, I think that's I think that's a great thing to do. You know, anytime I know for me, whenever I was a youth pastor, uh, you know, once a week activities and inviting families to come. You know, let, let that happen. It's not just a youth event. And so uh, this brother said love. And I was thinking, I told somebody the other day, uh, love. And prayer Amen, can make a big difference. It has in my life. Yeah, yeah. Amen. I'll tell you, uh, and just, uh, to add to that, and then one of the things uh, I come up with a word a year, and my word this year was intentionality when it comes to making disciples. And I just got really convicted too about you know the people that are younger than me, because I was not taking the time to really invest into them. I was doing ministry. But I wasn't spending any quality time with them. And up to right now, when God began to change my heart on that, we began to go through an intentional process, especially with those young boys. I mean, we were—they were—they, not me, they were leading people to Christ in their high school, um, and bridging those gaps. Okay, for the kids that wanted nothing to do with me. Okay, but Christ was able to work in that. Okay, which is awesome. I'll tell you what, you guys—you guys mind if I pray for us real quick? Let's pray. 
Father God, we, we come before you. God, we thank you that you are a God above all generations. God, you have looked beyond the scope of eternity and you've seen how everything's going to play out. God, you have called people from each generation to lead other individuals to Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would give each and every one of us in this room the wisdom that we need to be able to navigate through different generations and different people and different perspectives and how we can come together and love one another the way Christ has called us. God, you even said the people, the world will know you by the way that we love one another. And so, God, I pray as we leave this place that we would be encouraged that we would be edified to be able to go back to our churches and to be committed to reaching out to the generation that's opposite of us. And that we would be committed even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when it's not working sometimes, that we would stay committed to the task and say, God, do a work in my heart, do a work in their heart, and help us to get on the same page so that others can hear about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Because that's what's most important in this situation is your name being glorified and as many people as possible coming to, to faith in Christ. God, we, I, we love you. We thank you. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to meet each and every one of these people. And I pray that you would bless them today as we go and hear more about your word. And also, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys and thank you so much for coming out.